I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America. My home sweet America. I love America. Oh. I love it more than Kid Rock loves America. And Kid Rock loves America a lot, Rog. Thank you to Andrew Cober. He took the night off. He took the night off. He's performing currently at the Imperial Theatre in a French play called Les Mis. <laughs> but he took it off because America is more important to him, Rog. We are honoured by the company of so many GFOPs. And we're also honoured to have so many American outlaws in the audience. We Come on, American all. outlaws. Davo, you know yeah. what is amazing about tonight for me? My yeah. nipples are tingling. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not the first time. <laughs> What is amazing about it is never in one place, and I wish Guinness were here with their world record people, never have so many American people arrived in one place to hear two English blokes <laughs> speaking tongues about how America is going to win the 2014 World Cup. What, many people ask us this, why do we love America so much? We love it. 
We love it in the face. We love it in the face. <laughs> really, I've been thinking about it all day, Dave. Ever since you put that on my script card. Why do, Why we, love do we love America so much? I think number one yeah. reason for me uh-huh. is that we love America. <laughs> <laughs> we do. I've got we one. can't even animate that, Rod. <laughs> we can't let even me, animate that story. Let me take you back. Okay. In the George, pretend George Michael's sports machine still works. By the way, if anybody has an inside word on how we can get hold of the George we're Michael sports at, machine. We look on we're eBay for it every day. For the George Michael sports machine. We Let want me it. take you back to Liverpool in the 1980s. Pachacow! <laughs> I, I was living... I love Liverpool. I love it, love it, love it. But I was fed a steady diet of Starsky and Hutch, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Heart to Heart, and Dana Plato. Oh. And I, I always wanted to move here forever I've now done that in my lifetime I wake up every morning in New York City I kiss my wife and I say to her thank god I live in America oh Rod you just teared up he just teared up and we could animate that whole bit that was the amazing thing but Rog I love America yeah for footballing reasons what don't we talk enough about Rog when America I mean this is it this whole show by the way is meant to make us collectively believe that the US are going to win the World Cup. Yeah. And the main reason we believe it, other than Ralph Waldo Emerson, America is another name for opportunity. Our whole history appears like a last effort of divine providence on behalf of the human race, Davo. And the 1773, the Boston Tea Party, that made us believe in America. Best tea party ever. (laughs) (laughs) But you're talking about America... It's got great form in the World Cup, but you never talk about it. You know, European teams. Has a European team ever won a World Cup in South America? No. Has any team other than a South American team ever won a World Cup in South America? No. But how did the United States do the last time they played a World Cup in South America? We finished third! We finished third! We do not talk enough about 1930. 1930! 1930 was an amazing year. We've got some slides coming up. Let's take a look at the slides. There they are. <laughs> the heroes. You know, some of these players, one See of those that? guys... Hang on, go back a slide. Go back a slide. That's back Andy Ald. Bottom left, Andy Ald. He played for the Providence Goldbugs. <laughs> Top right, second from the right. There the tall one next to the short one and next to the guy in the flat cap that's defender Alexander Wood he played he played for the Holly Carburettors of Detroit second from the left and MLS bring back that franchise second from the left second from the left on the top row it's a very young Brad Friedel (laughs) (laughs) amazing you know what this 1930 squad they travelled to the World Cup by ship proper that is the way to go. They were, anybody know the name of the ship, by chance? <laughs> no, but that's hilarious. They went on the SS Munago. They went to the SS Munago. They finished third. You know why they finished third? Do you know who they beat in the third place match? No one. Yugoslavia was so terrified of playing the US men's national team. And these guys, they didn't even show up to play them. <laughs> By the way, history repeats itself. Almost all the team were dual nationals. They weren't Germans, they were Scots-Irish-English guys. 
Um, our favourite story, though, 1930 team, the US physio knocked himself out, Rog. He was, uh, this is going to be animated, during one of the games, when he ran onto the pitch to treat a player, he dropped a bottle of chloroform and he inhaled the fumes as he bent over to pick it up. Where the hell are you, YouTube? We need YouTube. That's all that. American soccer needed to make it go, but yeah, we didn't have it back then. so good. Another reason we believe in this American soccer team, yeah. because they win in Brazil. Brazil! Let me take you on the George Michael sports machine to Belo Horizonte. Fetch a cow! A ramshackle bunch of Americans that were undertakers, that were dishwashers, that were washed up minor league baseball catchers. They took on the mighty English football team. Look, Brad Friedel's got hair. <laughs> <laughs> and they beat them 1 0. 1 0. This would be, should have been 4. By the way, when I think about this team, when I think about this team, I think about it. Let's hear it for Joe Gitchens. Oh, come on. When I think about this game, I think about Davo and I mustering up the best American football players that we can find in the shires of England, taking them to meet your mighty Seattle Seahawks and just wiping the floor with them. It, it is bonkers. There was a problem, though. There was only one American journalist in attendance, Den McSkimming from the St. Louis Dispatch. He was on vacation. He wasn't even at the game. And what, well, the English guys, the English papers compared it to Dunkirk. They compared the defeat to Dunkirk. <laughs> The, uh, the, your coach, Bill Jeffrey, Bill Jeffrey, he told the English, the, he told the English newspapers, he said, these words kill me, he said, 1-0 against England, this is all the game in America needs to make it go. <laughs> America didn't qualify for another 40 years for the World Cup. No one gave a crap. The other reason we love America, Rog, for pure footballing meets fashion reasons is because we're a nation not afraid to wear stonewashed denim. Oh. In the Come face. on! I mean, look at those outfits. Oh, America. <laughs> F- yeah. By the way, we are going to celebrate these guys very, very, very shortly because we adore these gentlemen and they really introduced us both to your great footballing history and tradition. They're the final reason. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look at him in the eye. Not in the eye. Um, Not in the face. we We love them. We love the American team for another reason. Final reason. Because they are straight outer CONCACAF. CONCACAF. We love this team. CONCACAF is football's equivalent of a Star Wars bar. <laughs> and, 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 and the joy, the joy of this team is that no one knows how good they are. No, no, no idea. One, no one has got a clue. No one in the world knows exactly how good they are. How so, good is Julian Green? He's very good. He's, he's very amazing. good. He's very good. Believe me. Um, three minutes. <laughs> he's very good. Let me tell you, the USA to me, when I think about this USA team, 2014, they remind me... Thank you. Amazing man. I can't believe we found a picture of Michael Bradley smiling. (laughs) (laughs) We got, we got, when I think of this USA team, I think of one thing and one thing only. I think about Rachel Lee Cook at the end of She's All That, just shaking her (laughs) hair. That's what this USA team are going to do in Brazil. We are like, 
We are like football's Bitcoin. Everybody knows we're the future, but no one really knows what the hell to think of us in the present. <laughs> that is why we love this American team, David. USA. 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 Okay, we're going to run through the evening as you chant USA. Come on, keep it going. Thank you. Okay, packed show tonight. We're going to bring out a couple like, of stars. I feel like Mussolini at a rally. Some of the finest mullets, the stringiest ginger beards, and we're going to bring out dreadlocks. The finest to ever pull on an American jersey. It's going to be a very mono-themed show, this. It's going to be really, at the end of the day, about how two English blokes, we just love America. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Stars of Broadway will sing ballads. Some of the greatest players from 94 and the current 2014 team will be here. They're going to make your blood pump. They are. By the way, you may not feel it, but your nipples are going to be tingling. I guarantee it. And by the end of this show, in an hour's time, I hope, I hope, Dave, isn't it, that you will believe, just as we do, in an hour's time, that America are going to win the bloody 2014 World Cup and defend it in 2018. And then... Rog... And then here in 2022, okay. we're going to win it again. Let's, let's start this off right, Rog. Let's welcome to the stage a national treasure, a man who was there before 1930. The, ma- the one man who knew what the words world and cup meant way back when the founding fathers were framing the Constitution. He came over on the Mayflower. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Lee. Bob Lee, bring, here. bring Bob Lee a Guinness. <laughs> Can we get one on stage here? Can we just remind you why we're here, by the way? We failed to do this. We're here, and at great expense, to be candid. We've got the bloody World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got it right there. Two English comedians, Badil and Skinner, they said the World Cup is one of the ugliest trophies ever designed. They compared it to a man grabbing a grapefruit and then dipping that hand with the grapefruit into some gold paint. We couldn't make that one-hand balance, so we have two hands. Well, that's what we're talking about. And a lot of tape, let's face it. We're here with Bob Lee. Can we hear it for Bob Lee again, guys? Thank you. Amazing man. Bob Lee is an amazing man. Bob Lee has been covering World Cup football for such a long time. He started going back to... He started visiting World Cups when Sepp Blatter was still quite a nice man. He, 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 he covered football again, Brad Friedel still, vomits for age. <laughs> and even harder to fathom, this man at this table is a living, breathing gentleman who can remember a world in which England were quite good at football. How dare you. <laughs> um, Bob, yes. what was the first World Cup you ever covered? Or that you remember? No, that you covered. Uh, 1982, in Spain, we were, uh, we were informed uh, ESPN's going to... Uh, cover the World Cup. They know I'd work with the Cosmos across the river. Yeah. Was that for the river or was that for Cosmos? <laughs> <laughs> river! Just, the Cosmos was just being formed. Well, actually, 
<laughs> when I worked there, they were owned by Warner at the time. One of my jobs in, when I did the public address in 1979 was introducing Bugs Bunny. Uh-huh. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here he is, Bugs Bunny. There he is. Wow. Thank you. That's what he looks like when he's not in his outfit. I salute you. Um, Bob, 1982. Let me fire up the George Michael sports machine. Fitchikow, 1982. <laughs> ESPN's coverage of the 1982 World Cup continues. Live from Estadio Sanchez Pizjuan in Seville, a semi-final match, France and West Germany. Germany used to be two countries. Moves on now to the second semi-final. We Somehow, Bob, you look younger now than you did then. This German-Spanish game, where Rummenigge was not a factor, but certainly Pierre-Luc Barsky was, and Breitner and Briegel worked this left You side. may remember this music uh, from certain pornography movies you watch on VH video as a youth. West Germany's control of the soccer ball. Um, that was the first story. Hold on one second. We'll get to that in a minute. Sunk in. He sat Bob. down on the sidelines and cried. We turn to Alexi Lalas. Can we just Alexi, say, when it sank in with you, what were your reflections on this game? Man, it was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good night last night. We had a good night last night. We had a good night last night. We had a good night last now, now it's over, and we got to concentrate on the game Sunday. As best as you could have understood it, what did Boris say after the game? Um, he said, "Good luck, you know, good job, uh, you know, you, you did well." <laughs> that's, that's what I understand that he said. <laughs> for the French. Where will their goals come from? Because they've not had a forward in open play. Score goals since the second match of the tournament. Well, let's turn the volume down. Because we want to ask you, Bob. Two, nine, uh, nine, 1982. 82, right. You were broadcasting at right. ESPN, essentially from a broom closet. Yes. They told us we're going to cover the World Cup. And so we... Th- first game, we, we, we put our mics on and throw to the feet of the World Cup. Well, it's the CBC. And we, there were no American broadcasters doing it. We find out later there's a couple of Canadian guys sitting in a hotel suite in Madrid calling it off a monitor. So we go to our boss and say, well, what the heck? We can do that. And so we did. And it, was, it, ju- it took off. And the game you just showed, France, West Germany, and Sevilla, that was the first ever shootout which at the time was a total novelty, full of drama. Now, of course, it's pestilence. It's a hell of a way to determine the game. But that, yeah. When, when you say it took off, did you mean like America like turned into raptures about football? Or no, did you no, mean no, you got no, a phone no, no, call from no, someone no, in no. South Hartford being like, Bob, I like what you're doing with the football. But, <laughs> there, 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 but there was, I mean, we had only been on the air, what's that, three, two and a half years? And so uh, the, the ra- I don't even think we had ratings then, but we could tell anecdotally that there was interest. People would be calling up and correcting our pronunciations. There was no Internet. Mm-hmm. You, you, did your, you did your research from here and from talking to uh, Bob Carpenter, worked with us. Seamus Mallon worked with me. My good friend, you saw us there at the Stade de France and I, the final, when, of course, uh, you know, the, that late change in the Brazilian lineup. And it was all done seat of the pants. And at the end of the tournament, as we approached the final, ABC had the final in Madrid that year, they hired me to come down and sit here in Midtown as a standby announcer in case their line went down. So Giorgio was in, Giorgio Canalia, the late Giorgio Canalia, yeah. He and Jim McCain were in Madrid, but I was standing by just in case, and at one point there was a little crackle 
in the audio line. I said, oh, my heart fluttered because if I got on the air, my talent fee tripled. <laughs> and even by today's standards, it was damn good. Uh, and it, get in the chair, get ready. Unfortunately, didn't make it on the air that day, but it, 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 it was the beginning of our association with the World Cup, 1982. I was 27. Did you, at that time, did you ever, like, when the, when the cameras went off and, like, the ESPN people were like, okay, get out of here, we've got to put the baseball on and, and all that kind of stuff, did you ever wonder who the hell you were broadcasting to back at that time? Now, I'm, listen, there still was a North American Soccer League, Volume 1. They were still drawing <laughs> fairly well. Uh, we were just several years removed from 80,000 people attending all these games at Giant Stadium. Yeah. All these, you know, th th there was a, 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 a vibrant soccer culture in this country. Of course, they spent themselves into oblivion. But at that time, in 82, there was interest. Bob, I have a technical football question. At what age did you decide upon that hairstyle? <laughs> Envious, aren't you? <laughs> of course. Hence, hence the question. I am told reliably in the womb. <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you, I mean, you, you covered 82 when, let's say, soccer was a niche sport that was maligned, full of self-loathing, hatred, and absolutely disrespected <laughs> by all major broadcasters. We're now here. Yeah, but he, he's true. That, that's Are we the talking truth. 82 or 2014? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're now on the... I feel like we're on the cusp of, of something... I don't like to say it because I don't like to jinx it. But we're on the cusp of the big effing soccer takeover of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. I look at you with great admiration, I really do, as a man of wonder who has marshaled this sport through the dark ages. Your passion has never, ever weathered. You've been there every single World Cup. Whether it's like a big deal or not a big deal, it's been Bob Lee that has been inching this game forward. And I look, I, I look at that with great admiration, and I, it's something that I think that I would love to emulate. But when was the moment, Bob, along this curve from 82 to now 2014 that you realized that the sport that you loved, because you did love it very early, yeah. was in danger of catching on? <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think it might have been. It was a very hot and humid day. It was the day after the OJJs in 1994. <laughs> and it was right again, right across the river, not the River Styx or the River Jordan, but the River Hudson over at Giant Stadium, the original version, where they had... And I had spent a lot of time there with Cosmos, so I, I knew that place like the back of my hand, but you were playing on a carpet there with an 18-inch crown. It was like playing on, on a, a bad driveway warped by, by rainwater. And they had gone in there and built trays of dirt and grew grass from seed. They didn't, they didn't turf it. And it was it's a like a peat dye green, yeah, is what yeah. you're describing. The, the holy grail has slipped here, my oh, friend. Sorry. Be careful. Keep if it, it hits I'm the floor, we'll have to get it re-blessed. like a revolution. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, my Lord. It's come to this. Uh, the, the, to the total character of that stadium, which I knew so well, I mean, it was amazing. So now there was a natural grass field down. First match to be played in the World Cup, the second day of the World Cup, Italy and Ireland. And I was, I was calling it, Seamus Mallon and I called it on ESPN, ESPN or ABC, I'm not sure which. And we all knew it was going to be a big game. All the attention on Roberto Baggio, the divine ponytail, right? Couldn't be here tonight. Growing up in Jersey as I did. I, you know, I, friend of the pod. Yes. Friend of the pod. We said, my gosh, the poor Irish. 
They're not going to win the game. And it's, it's a small nation. I mean, you grow up in Jersey. I mean, I... My high school class, 600 people, 500 of the names ended in vowels. We knew who was going to come and pack the house. Except on that day, as, as, as everyone filtered in, and there was all sorts of security, and everyone came to come in and forget about O.J. and watch the football. And these banners began to be draped over the upper reaches of the stadium and they're all in English and they're all in green and they're all from county killed or this county and that county and by the time we got ready to kick the house was 70% full of Ireland 30% full of Italy and it was vibrant it was vibrant and I remember in Seamus of course my good friend who's born in Dublin uh, he, he was beside himself and it was that moment I said that they've changed the character of this stadium they've packed this place the Irish have come out of nowhere and as you remember they wanted one nil I said that yeah, and and the sunburn, the sunburn was terrible yes, that day. For exactly. The poor Irish. SPF 400. Yeah. Of course, we'll we'll forget about Packy Bonner dropping that ball in Orlando, but <laughs> that was uh, a moment. Yeah, and it also that that, that, that said it to me. Then. It was also the, um, Bob has just told us the Tommy Smith creation story. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, <laughs> you did not come alone. You didn't come alone. We've got a special guest that we're going to bring to the stage right now. Bob Lee has empowered us to take you to great heights. We're not just bringing football lovers together. We're bringing royalty to the stage, David. We're bringing to the stage a man who drives the same car as Mr. Bob Lee, a man with the greatest call in the history of U.S. soccer. Ladies and gentlemen, arise for Sir Ian Dark. I really had a knighthood. <laughs> uh, by the time my family have finished with this, Surian, you will have. 97% of our listeners actually believe Ian's a real knight. <laughs> they nearly put it up on a caption on ESPN one day. <laughs> yes, this close. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Don't do it. It's not a joke for us. He's really the king of England, but we downplay it. I think of him as the Ray Hudson you can bring home to meet your mother. <laughs> Ian... You're here, you're on a journey, you've just arrived, he touched down today and still came here, amazing man and we're grateful. Yes. You're, go you're, about, you're about to spend the summer on like a kind of, you're almost moving to a, what city is going to be your summer home? Well, it's, it's going to be in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Uh, I've got two trips to Manaus, where I'm sure you all know the USA have uh, the big game against Portugal. Before that, big England game, a win, Italy. a win. So, uh, yeah, I think I've got 9,500 miles to cover, um, and I'm not going anywhere near the Amazon River with the piranhas, and, and, and I, I promised myself that. So who's shipping the Lexus down there? <laughs> well, Bob's going to lend me his. Oh, good. 
Can you talk about your... How does one prepare? I mean, they call Manaus. They call Manaus the Portsmouth of Brazil. <laughs> they don't have a team in Manaus. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Well, they don't have a team in Portsmouth well, right now either. So. <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot. How, how, how do you prepare? I mean, mentally, physically. I mean, you are, like, you've been pumped up with... Mm. Tell us about what, what, how you've suffered to get ready to bring us the call well, to this I was, I was saying earlier, I've, I've had shots for diseases I didn't know existed. Um, <laughs> to, before going to the Amazon, this Amazon jungle city, uh, I've got a whole stack of malaria pills that I have to take. I'm sure the team have got to do all the same things, by the way. Um, it's, not an, it's not an easy place. It's, you know, it's, it's four hours' flight from Rio and back again. Um, the conditions there, 80% humidity, a big, big factor for the players. I mean, it's going to be tough for you, but Maka, the hair. Yes. <laughs> Plus all his research books, he needs four cases, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> the US men's national team, though, have never, ever lost or even tied a World Cup game in a jungle. They're undefeated. No. Undefeated. Undefeated. They're unbeaten in Manaus. Unbeaten in the jungle. Thank you, Paul Carr. That's the yeah, SPN stats at their yes, finest. Yeah. We're not going to let you two gentlemen go down there alone. We want to present you with... We want to present you with something that just is a totem of all of our hearts, all of our love, all of yeah. our respect for you gentlemen. I wish to say, you know, Bob, you're wearing your golden blazer. Yeah. You're the first and only recipient so far of the golden blazer. You wear it well. It couldn't look better on you. It looks amazing. What goes better than that, then? A golden mankini. Yeah. <laughs> Whip off your pants and put that on for a second. But the thinking was that when he's down in Brazil, the last thing we want to see on our television is Bob Lee with a farmer's town. Yeah, and, uh, and Serian, I know you and, uh, and Mr. Lee are very close. You spend a lot of time with each other, no doubt at the hotel swimming pool in Manaus. That'll what be quite a scene. What are you trying scene. to say here? So, uh, well, I think you're about to see. Dave, will pick this out. Oh, I'll take that. Go, go, USA! We had that tailored to measurements, by the way. this, Rog. It's like a good old-fashioned send-off. Oh, that's what it is, It really it? is. You know, open... Not all these people are going to make it back alive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all without malaria. It's very clearly. I've got to get my malaria shot. I've got to go and do that. The golden thong. Okay, Rog, where are we going now? Well, to 1994, you know, mate. Oh, let's go back into George Michael's sports machine to 1994. <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan, Tonya Harding fighting. O.J. Simpson driving, getting chased. You're right. The Rangers win the Stanley Cup every year. The New York the, Knicks. The USA win the World Cup. I know, every year. The New York Knicks against the Houston Rockets. I believe that was the NBA Finals that year. Yep. Take that, John Starks. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, Nirvana. Sad year. Oliver Shalom. 
Hey, pass. Yes! That was a good year for baseball. Good year. <laughs> you know, when I think of 1994, I do. I think of one thing and one thing only. I think of... I think of the USA team. It was the first time I'd ever seen them. I'd just arrived in your great country. I was like, Yentl. <laughs> an, illegal, an illegal Yentl. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I watched this team walk onto the field in their stonewashed <laughs> denim with their mullets and their stringy red thingies that were going on. And to me, I was saying to Devo earlier this afternoon, it was like watching the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> They were amazing. They were unbelievable. They had this self-confidence that I just absolutely adored. They were dreamers, risk-takers, pioneered. They swaggered onto that football team. We all know how they did. And I fell in love with them the first game I ever watched. I'll be candid. U.S. football has moved so far, so fast in the past 20 years. I'll I'll talk personally. I feel like we don't talk enough about the 1994 team. Agreed. And what an amazing (laughs) achievement. What amazing sacrifice, what they did for the game in this country. And also, I think we also underestimate their true quality as footballers. I think we've kind of like written on, we've moved on, and it it pains me deeply. So let's welcome to the stage, let's stand for two of the heroes of that 1994 U.S. men's national team. From across the river in New Jersey, the youngest ever captain of the U.S. men's national team, that team's goalkeeper, Tony Miola. And we know him as the man from ESPN, the most fearsome defender balladeer in history of football, Alexi Lalas! And on a related note to the production, more beer, please. More Guinness. Thank you. It's not every day a man gets to sit down at a table with his two hair heroes. <laughs> let, me, let me take us all back. So many of you were not even born. Unbelievably, there was an English newspaper article about Raheem Sterling, and they said to him, they said, what is the first World Cup you remember watching as a, uh, as a kid? He said, 2010. <laughs> He said he watched the England game, he got bored at half-time and went outside and had a kick in the garden with his mates. And then he got a slice of pizza. Yeah, a slice of pizza, yeah. he said. So it always shocks me how 94 is so formative for me, not just as a, as a soccer fan, but as a human being in this country. Tony, take us back. Hard as it may be to believe, in 94, the majority of the US players, both of you at the time, you didn't have clubs. You were international footballers. You racked up 79 caps on the way into the world. They were international footballers with no domestic clubs. There was incredible pressure. The USA could have been the first team to host a World Cup and never get out the elimination round. Uh, no the chance, stage. Roger. We were getting out. That was it. We were going through, brother. You're desperate to avoid this pressure. No, no. <laughs> Can we get one for Mr. Miola? Mm. 
Okay, you can take mine, Tony. Okay. I just want to sip out of that side. Take that. Take us back to the night before the first game. You're in your hotel room. You're about to play Switzerland. You're about to play before a massive, massive global audience. Tell us about that hotel room. Tell us what you were doing. Tell us what you were feeling. Oh, boy. Well, I was rooming with uh, John Harks, and I spent... uh, We were in Alexi's hometown, so his entire family raided the hotel lobby. And I watched the O.J. Simpson trial till five in the morning. Because God's honest, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. And Harks kept saying, "Can you turn the goddamn TV off?" I said, yeah, but no, that's they not almost exact. got him. They almost got him right that, here. <laughs> that's not the exactly. They're about to get him. Oh, the chase. You were watching the OJ chase. I, uh, yeah, I was watching the chase. We watched it. I wish he'd have gone a little bit faster down the road. <laughs> was that nerves? It was nerves. I couldn't sleep, and and I think we had a pregame meal at like seven o'clock in the morning, six because the game was at eleven o'clock. It was some, somewhere in the morning. I thought, who the hell schedules a game at eleven o'clock in the morning? But you know, I, I don't know. We uh, were we nervous? Yeah, we were a bunch of kids with a dream, um, a, a team that I, I think we believed right right from the start that we could get it done. A lot like this team, to be honest, Rod. There's people that don't believe i get it i understand um but screw those people at the end of the day you know and and you just you go out and play that's it we we play for the usa and these guys play for the usa and who else would you want to play for let you know that's that was the dream we had and and we did what we could june 22nd 1994 game two alexi can you tell me what you remember about this. I believe we're going to go to the clip. Julie in the middle. Ronaldo, the set of their side to Chad Ramos. This is good possession here. Ramos sending on the running score the Some more. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, what do you remember about the game? So, uh, I, what I remember, uh, not much about the game. I mean, that's that's a holy moment right there, where you realize that this this dream, as Tony's been talking about, is within your grasp because nobody picked us uh, to get out of our group, let alone to beat. A team like Colombia, who a lot of people had picked actually as uh, one of the favorites to win the World Cup. A lot, a lot of people, he means Pele. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of people in that head. <laughs> and and so that 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 moment that moment is there uh, in front of a hundred thousand people in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, and it's it's one thing to play in be an international and to play in a World Cup. It's another thing to be an American in 1994 playing in the World Cup. And the pressure of, you don't just have to do well, but you have to do well for the future of the sport. And um, it's a responsibility that all of us understood. And to be able, at the end of the tournament, to hold your head high and say, not only did we, did, did we do well in terms of the results, but the image that we portrayed individually and collectively as a team has resonated and has provided some... Uh, some relevancy uh, and some credibility and some respect for American soccer players who, to be quite honest, at the time, 
um, didn't have a lot. I, I, I tell the story all the time about that, that woman two weeks before the World Cup who I sat in my middle seat and she asked me, what do you do? Uh, on a plane. I, she said, what do you do? I said, I play soccer. She said, what do you do as a job? I said, I play soccer. <laughs> she said, what do you do for money? I said, I play soccer. And two weeks later, I'm in front of a billion people at, at the World Cup. But that was the climate. And thank, thank goodness... We had to go through there to get to, to, to now, and I'm so much happier now in terms of the climate. Paul, we Paul, all Paul. stand on your shoulders. We are standing on your shoulders. Now, part of that story that I love that Alexi never tells is the little woman he was talking to on the plane was actually his mother. <laughs> it was his Jewish mother. Um, uh, the, um, oh, what do you do for money? I don't know. The, um, sounds like my mother. The... Um, July 4th, 1994, Rog. You get out of the group. You're drawn on July 4th in Stanford, where we just were with the U.S. training camp, and you're playing Brazil, the best team in the world. Brazil. Brazil. We've got Romario. We've got Bebeto. You've got Ronaldo on the bench. What did you tell yourselves? Let's watch some role. Let me ask you both. What did you tell yourselves the day before that game? Did you feel that you had a chance? <laughs> And the American dream was over. Oh, there, there was a goal that was also part of that. <laughs> uh, like North Korean television, we do not show goals that are scored against, against our great country. That game ended 0-0. <laughs> and the USA were sadly eliminated. So, did, did, how did you feel the day before? Did you believe? I mean, just give us a little sense of how that felt. You're about to play. You guys, without a club team, great Brazilian team. Yeah, we had already accomplished that first goal of getting out of the group, and now, to a certain extent, it was uh, just, you know... We, it was that oh Yeah, it was that oh moment. You're playing, <laughs> you're playing Brazil, but also it's, also it's also that situation where you have absolutely uh, nothing to lose. It's July 4th, so all of this thing, everything's lining up. It's a huge crowd. It's in Stanford. It's a beautiful day. You're playing against some very, very good players, and from a tactical perspective, you know, what do you do when you've got Romario and Bebeto running at you, and you say, oh and you back up as far as you possibly can until my, until my ass is in Tony's face. <laughs> Should we recreate that goal now? Yeah. <laughs> but you can, only, you can only back up so far. <laughs> we could have went a little bit further. <laughs> so, even though the goal never happened, does either of you want to talk us through that goal? Oh, we're going to do the goal. Oh, we might not boy. have it. Yeah, I will tell you this, from my perspective, right, Player, ball gets shot, goes through Alexi, I think hits your calf a little bit. Yes. It was mil- I've had that tackle a million times, yeah. and it was absolutely perfect through my legs. If I had flexed my calves maybe a second earlier, I would have and deflected. I, I would have changed the whole course of American football. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you this, that, that goalkeepers oftentimes when you turn around, right, you can tell when it's going wide. Yeah. I swear to God, this ball was going wide. And it hit something. If you watch it, it, it takes a little right turn behind me, and there was my moment again. Seth and I'm thinking, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> with the joystick. Right? Yeah, with the if joystick. you turn that damn thing left, we're good. But it, the, so 
that was that moment in time, right, that I, I go back all the time, and, and that's what I think about. And I, I think to myself, I had it measured, went past me, I get that part, and, and it had this little spin. But um, if you really go back and watch the game, in all fairness to us, we could have been up two goals in the first five minutes Thomas of the game. Stewart. right? Yeah, yeah. We, we missed two opportunities, three yards from goal against Brazil, and then you go up. The, the, the one, and not, you never want to see anybody get injured, right? And, and what happened to Tab was was terrible, and we lived it at halftime in the locker room, and we lived it after the game and saw what was going on, but he was the one guy we couldn't lose. We didn't have John Harks in the game, a, a central midfielder, because he got yellow thrown cuts. out for a yellow card. It was his second yellow card in the, the game prior against Romania. Tab was our one creative guy and the one guy that could break it down for us. So we lost that element, but... Look, I think we, we got in the end, right, uh, as far as we were going to go. We lost to the team that, that won the World Cup. Uh, we gave them a run, and, and it didn't work out. But the memories, right, I'm sure, Alexi, every time World Cup rolls around, the, the, the stadium and going in and, and uh, just the atmosphere was incredible. The denim. The, the hair uh, of denim. You yeah, had to mention it. The <laughs> mullet, all the hair. Right? The mullet. And oh, the God, we had glorious the... hair. So I'm just, I'm... <laughs> you must have been asked thousands of times about the legacy both for you personally and collectively as a team of that 1994 performance but you know we've said already that we stand on your shoulders everyone involved in soccer in the US today stands on your shoulders in front now of the outlaws all these massive fans of American soccer on you know, a week and a half eve of the U.S. men's national team sending what is arguably one of the strongest squads the U.S. has ever sent to a World Cup. To win the World Cup. To win the World Cup. <laughs> what is the legacy you can draw from that tournament on what it's like to be an American soccer player, which is the American exceptionalist argument, which makes Americans exceptional in sport, exceptional in this game, exceptional going to this World Cup? Inspire us. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> look, the uh, the legacy. Look, the legacy uh, is. I'm a pretty simple guy, and, and anyone that listens to me on the radio every day um, knows I'm pretty simple in my life. And uh, a, a guy from the 1950 team, Walter Barr. When we met him, he said one thing to me when I was with the... Uh, yeah, you can clap for him. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, um, he, he told me when I w was at the, the Under-19 World Cup in Chile uh, in 1989, and he said, um, the only thing I want you to do is keep the ball rolling. That was his expression, keep the ball rolling. And, and the only thing we did was we pushed it along and... and then there was a group of guys just after us that pushed it along, and now it's Bradley and Howard and Dempsey, and you know all the names, right? We just, I just hope uh, 20 years from now they're sitting up here with you guys uh, pushing the ball along. And that, that for me, is the legacy that, that I hope that we left for you guys. Alexi. Size the day. <laughs> I, I hope they care. I know I, I, I talk a lot to a, a younger generation that, uh, that doesn't remember a whole lot from the 1900s and, and what was going on back then. <laughs> and that's, that's okay. I, I consider that good, that the fact that there's, 
I was with some players today that they don't remember that. It means that we've progressed. I don't, I don't want them to remember it. The fact that they are, but the fact that they are growing up in a time where soccer is so much more than it ever was on and off the field. And this, this soccer family, this soccer army that I talk about that for so long was, was underground and niche, it, it is no longer that way. And it is above ground and it is powerful and it is growing. And it's a power that you can harness and that you can use and that you can feel. And this entire generation, regardless of, of, of how much or little you have been involved in soccer, soccer sometimes now informs you. And I love it. I love the fact that in 2014 I'm living in, in a soccer nation here in the U.S. And those players, when they go down to Brazil, are going down with that power that comes from that family that we're talking about. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And use it recognize it and respect it and care care when you put on that jersey care when that national anthem starts and you put your hand and put your hand over your your heart care care also when it doesn't go well and the ramifications of it not going well don't be afraid to lose but care and i hope that they do and i believe that they do regardless of, of winning and losing And Tony Miola, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson. Amazing. That's what I say. Before you step off, uh, you two gentlemen are absolutely, I mean, it is amazing for us to be with you guys on stage, having watched you as a kid in the Chicago bar do what you did, and to be on this table with you on this stage in front of this audience, this good, so much of it is down to you two guys and that squad, and we, we are, we are honoured to be with you both. Say hi to the other guys. And before Alexi goes, we're going to... I want to say one more thing about Alexi. Alexi Lalas, I like your voice. <laughs> I like your voice because it reminds me of Tracy Chapman's. But it's just a, just a little bit higher. <laughs> so I want to give one more round of applause to two gentlemen who should be in the Smithsonian. And Alexi's going to sing for us. Oh my goodness. Alright, here we go. Those made me cry. God damn. I can't believe I did that. Alright, um, look, this is, uh, this is a song that everybody knows. At least the first verse and the second verse is inspired by uh, those two gentlemen and this incredible show that they, uh, that they do. Uh, and it's more than a show. It's... Uh, I don't know, we're going to have to find a different word for it, but it's more than a show. So here we go. You might have heard this. Oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain. Majesties above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed its 
grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea oh beautiful our simple game on fields across the land divided we will surely fall together we will stand America America come out come out and play with men in blazers by our side we all can size the day something like that have a wonderful summer Nineteen ninety four, David. Can you take us to the uh, to the present? Butch cow. Let's take the George Michael sports machine. First of all, to okay. the present day. Let's first of all. I want you all to congratulate my partner in pod, Mr. Roger Bennett, for the amazing ESPN series that he has been producing. He's been staying up all night, travelling across this great nation, travelling around the world. Feral donkeys, Rog. <laughs> following the US men's national team, following Jurgen and his boys as they prepare for Brazil. And we want to turn our attention. Little order switch for us right Little now. Little order switch. Little order switch. We're going to the present day to go and talk about that, Rog. Yeah. Um, we're going to jump into a guest who, honestly, gives me the thickening. He's a GFOP, he's a midfielder, he's a bon viveur, he's a poet, and he's a US men's national hero. And he's poised at the age of 32 to make his first appearance in a World Cup final. Let's welcome to the stage a remarkable footballer and an even better human being. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kyle Beckham. I just happened to be wearing tonight, by coincidence, Ur de Beckerman cologne. <laughs> oh, Kyle. Uh. <laughs> Who put that up there? You look terrible. Who man. would do that? You, you look, look terrible, terrible, not nearly as good looking. Can I just say, Kyle. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I love you. <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
<laughs> that's going to be the look. We know that's going to be the look. We're just going to let these run. <laughs> oh. Okay, cut them off. They're too distracting. They're too good. Okay. Kyle Beckerman. I love you. <laughs> I do. Here's why I love you. Can you just retell the story of the Panama game? Last game of the World Cup qualifying. The USA didn't have to win, yet you led this team to victory, and I asked you afterwards what was going on, and you told me what the Panamanian midfielders were saying to you on the field. They were trying to get us to take it easy on them. Your quote to me at the time, which I take, you said, the Panamanian midfielders were saying, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> they seem to know the international language for communication with Mr. Carl Beckerman. <laughs> And they, they, said, they said to Kyle, why are you playing so hard? You're already going to Brazil. And you said to them, do you remember? I said, nothing's guaranteed. He said, we're going to Brazil, but I'm not sure I'm going to Brazil. And Kyle played so hard that night. It was truly remarkable. Oh. And that to, me, that, to me, is the essence of the way Kyle Beckerman plays football, David. Where did you learn to play football like this, Mr. Beckerman? That's right. About, about three hours south, a place called Crofton, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And Bowie, Maryland, all over Maryland. Because everyone, everyone loves to score the goals. We all know because Rogers had a vision of your 65-yard wonder strike to win the <laughs> World Cup final. It is known. It is known. <laughs> but you love to tackle and make a man squeal. When did you learn that? You know, I, I, I'm just like everybody else. I want to score the goals. I want to. I want all that stuff. But um, when you become a pro, you got to find a way to get on the field. And when you're a young, young player, and um, they got older players, they got veterans that are scoring the goals. You got to find a way to get on there. And uh, so I had to adapt. And now I enjoy uh, making uh, the offender squeal. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Well, one of the things I love about you from doing this Inside series is that you told me now an infamous, and it'll probably dog you for the rest of your career, story, and I don't know if we can show it, but you told me the story of the note that you used to send to your mother. You can say what it is in a minute. I I just love the story, because to me, covering this US football team is a story of remarkable men who cared about football, dreamt about football, obsessed about football at a time when that currency in America, it was not one that people valued, but you've caught up with that. We now value it. You are our elite stars. But I love this story of the note because it captures what a dreamer you were at a time when no one was having those kind of dreams. Just, just tell us the story. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Maryland, we get a chance every once in a while to uh, go to RFK and watch our heroes, Tony Miola, Alexi Lalas play. And... Um, I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be a professional soccer player. And that, for me, meant playing for the U.S. national team and growing hair like Alexi Lalas had at the time. <laughs> and Tony Miola. How would you describe that haircut, Carl? <laughs> Tony had, a, like, a bit of a spike mullet, and <laughs> Alexi had just, uh, just kind of a mop. Yeah. We, we, we think of it as a medieval mop. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But awesome all the same. And um, so... I just, that's what I wanted to be. I had, my number was 15 at the time, and so, like a lot of people growing up in that area, you're out playing with the neighborhood kids, and uh, if I wasn't going to be home when my parents were 
uh, going to get home, I would leave him a note and let him know where I would be. And uh, no matter what, if I'm, I'm at the school playing soccer, I'm down at Johnny's house, it always ended with Kyle Beckerman in cursive, my autograph, USA number 15. Well, since I heard that story, I've started signing all of my notes. Roger Bennett. USA number 27. <laughs> still, still dream I'm going to get that international call out one of these days, David. So, uh, Carl, you've had quite a week in camp. Um, we know about the final 23. Um, now, I imagine it's all about the starting 11. Talk to us about the mood in camp and the competitiveness about making into that starting 11 uh, for that first game down in Brazil. I mean, really, it's just kind of switched on. I mean, it's always a competition. I think all the, the best teams out there, they always have competition in, in their team. There's guys, there's, they're backed up at right back, left back, midfield, everywhere. And that just makes the team better. And so the competition at first was, let's see who gets on the 23. That's the main mindset of everybody, uh, especially the guys on the bubble. It was about making the 23. Well, now I guess the way I look at it is it's about getting in that 11. And um, so... I mean, I know I come to work every day, and I'm trying to do everything I can to see if I can beat out the guy in front of me and uh, make sure that, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can to be in the starting 11. And if that doesn't happen, of course, I'm going to be a positive person and not be the negative, you know, somebody who's going to pout and be a negative to the team, but um, always going to be competing to try and be in the starting 11. I mean, the... <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from... Um... From the Inside series, it was Michael Bradley. He said, teams that are ready to suffer are going to do well. We want to be the team that can suffer the most. You're off to Natal, you're off to Manaus, you're off to Recife. And it's like playing a goal in Desert Valley, a game in Desert Valley, a game in the Amazonian jungle, and then a game in, in a microwave oven. <laughs> How are you mentally, physically preparing? Um, I guess the biggest thing is pretty much what we do in MLS, um, going to Dallas, going to Houston. I mean, really, New York could be hot and humid this day right now, but for whatever reason, it's kind of chilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's normal. I mean, this, a lot of us have grown up playing in humid, hot places and um, with big travel. So hopefully we'll, this will be an advantage that we can take with us over there. Please go. I mean, I'm going to let you all into a little secret. You know the World Cup, it's a spoiler alert, it's actually fixed, right? <laughs> Would you like us to show you what is going to happen? In Brazil. In Brazil. Roll Let's tape. cue it, let's get the sound up. Kyle, you've got to watch this. <laughs> this is the final, it's the final. The opening game, this is Ghana. Michael Bradley! Yay! Portugal, two down. Clint two. There it is! That's the final! There we go. Weirdly, weirdly, 
even though we know it's going to be 65 yards, Carl, the wonder strike that wins the yep, World Cup yep. final, that looked a little shorter. But other than that, it's absolutely it realistic. The, it was the angle. The whole time. The okay, Carl, step over here. We want to practice something. Okay. <laughs> World Cup, but I just want to talk through it. You're going to have a chance to lift it. I want to go through a few things. Okay, you can do the bottle of water. Okay. I'll do the World Cup. Okay. When it's handed to you, I love one of these. Casual. Then... I like a slightly more dramatic move when it's going to be lifted above your head. You want to accentuate two different parts of the body movement. You want to, get, you want to go up, but you also want to go down at the same time. Lift the knees, lift the knees. Up and down. The last thing is you want to shout when you do it. You've got to get the vocals right. Do you always wonder on television what they're shouting when they lift it up? Because they always shout to them and they say, we're going to reveal it now. They shout, F you blatter! Ladies and gentlemen, finally, Kyle, a gift for you from us for the Von Tracks, not in the face, in English and in Portuguese. From us to you, a many places scarf to take down the world Five-yard wonder. We didn't ask him what it felt like to score that goal. I know. By the way, this really is a grapefruit. <laughs> Sprayed gold. Verify, please. Verify, please. <laughs> it's actually the World Cup trophy that was thought to be melted down in Brazil in 1970. <laughs> Who knew it was made of grapefruit? Okay, Roger, we're jumping around all over the place now. I am so lost on my cards. I can't even tell you where we are. Well, let me tell you, the biggest change since 1994 for me, a lot has happened on the field, but a huge amount, Davo, has happened off the field, an incredible amount. And one of the things that uh, really thrills us most, I I can say, watching the Dos Acero game in Columbus live in the press gallery... To stand behind the, um, the American Outlaws yeah. while they chanted and welcomed that team with such incredible passion. I, honestly, I brought tears to my eyes and I don't cry easily. <laughs> I thought, I can't believe I'm in America. I love the American Outlaws. We both love the American Outlaws. And it is an honour and a joy to bring to the stage, to honour them and to honour you and to honour your support. The founders, uh, one of the founders of the American Outlaws and the chapter head of the American Outlaws, Brian and Corey, come to the stage now. Thank you.
Welcome to the World Cup. So, Brian and Corey, uh, the American Atlas. I remember the first U.S. men's national team games I went to in Los Angeles, the beginning of the 1990s. Dark times, Rog, at the L.A. Coliseum, the Rose Bowl, seeing that team. You supported Mexico back then. No, that's not true. Never, (laughs) never supported Mexico. There was a... uh, there was barely a fan in the stadium at that, those points. We saw the U.S. men's national team walk out onto the field, outnumbered by the opposing fans, occasionally booed by fans in the, own sta- in the stadiums in their own states, in their own cities, in their own country. What? No, you're right. That's the segue. <laughs> Not anymore. What moved you to start this movement? And how quickly did you see it change? That, that's what it was. It was uh, going to these games and feeling outnumbered every game. And uh, I can remember Camp Cupcake, as we call it in L.A., uh, one of our first games, and I think it was January 2008, we sold 20 tickets, and it was like we knew everyone in the section. And uh, since then, it's, it's grown a lot, and it, you know, now we have three or four sections of supporters every January. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we would go to games, um, our group of friends would go to games, and there wouldn't be things consistently set up for U.S. fans to get together and hang out before the game, the night before the game. So we kind of took it upon ourselves to do that every game, no matter what, if it was Camp Cupcake or if it was U.S.-Mexico. And uh, it, we've just been consistent with it, and people have started showing up. And how, many just, people, how many people are you taking down to Brazil? 530 people leave a week from today, two weeks from today. Some of them will come back. Some of them will come back. Do not say that. Have you, have you, have you, have you had all your horse tablets and all that crap? Yes. Well, we, we, want, we, we know you've got your leeches and all the stuff that you need, the blood leeches for drawing blood when you're down in Brazil. We know you've got all your medical stuff taken out. We wanted to honor the American outlaws because to us you are... I mean, the, the most, as I say, since 94, to me, you're the most critical element of terms of change um, in this country. We wanted to honour you, didn't we, Davo? We wanted to give you a send-off to Brazil that's fitting, give you something. We're practical men, aren't we, Davo? We're practical men. We want to give you... You saw, we gave Bob, you saw what we gave Bob Lee and <laughs> Serene Dot. But you're getting something a little bit different. <laughs> you know, it could get a little bit testy with some of the fans <laughs> of the other teams. <laughs> Here we go. Bulletproof vest. Oh, Bulletproof right. vest. Share it with all 590 of you, mate. You're going to have to share it, unfortunately. We can only afford one. Yeah, very good. American Outlaws. On behalf of all the American Outlaws, stand and cheer. Davo, fandom is expressed in song. Fandom is expressed in song. You don't want to go to... No. Okay, good. Okay. Let's go for a little sing-a-song. Okay, we, a little we, sing-a-song. We, we believe proper football nations all have a World Cup song. We didn't have a World Cup song. We took it upon ourselves. Who knew that the nexus between hardcore football fans and Andrew Lloyd Webber wannabes... It's like, I don't quite understand Venn diagrams, but they're almost overlapping. 
We had thousands of entries, didn't we, David? We did. We had thousands of entries. Um, only one winner. There was. I'll just say quickly, the third place, Matthew Grant. I think he may even be here. He did world class. We love you to, the, to Lord's Royals. That was my favourite. Um, there was a popular vote. The second was Peter Backoff, who did Born on a US base, USA base, which was to... to, to <laughs> we tried to get Alexi to sing it live on yeah. stage. It was a bit of a no-no. Yeah. <laughs> who won, David? Well, the winner by popular vote... And democracy has never been overrated, Rog. It's excellent democracy, particularly ones that involve a free market. Um, <laughs> the winner, Craig Copeland of Parkton, Maryland, who wrote uh, one of our favourite songs of all time, Rog. My favourite things. Uh, he's a teacher. Today is his last day of school. He's in the audience he's somewhere, come from Craig. Baltimore, all the way from Baltimore. Where are you? Oh, there he is. There he is. Over there. He's on the left wing. Can you, can you pass him that? Pass him that. All the way back there. Um, so, we're going to have a, a performance of this. If the performers could come to the stage, please, to sing our uh, World Cup song contest winner. It's my favourite things. This is going to be performed by Julia Matteson. I believe that's her. She's going to be accompanied by Drew Gasparini. What a fantastic American name. I love America. Drew Gasparini. And they're going to sing My Favourite Things by Craig Copeland of Parkton, Maryland. It's back there, right wing. All right, hi. All right. Miola. And Howard goalkeeping, Doce Acero and the Mexicans weeping, November and December, Columbus in spring. These are a few of our favorite things. Arena and Jurgen and Bradley and Bora, the port of Spain goal sent in by Caligiori, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, and you'll make the first string. These are a few of our favorite things. Donovan stoppage time strike brought salvation. Joe Gachin's goal, though he really was Haitian. We might not win World Cups, but we sure can sing. These are a few of our favorite things. When Torsten Fring handles, when there's a FIFA scandal, when we play Ghana, we simply remember our favorite things. And then The whole world will know that tune by July 13th. Okay, Rog, where are we going now? Is this where we introduce Seth Blatter? <laughs> do you not okay, want us to bring him we'll on? Do you, Set do you we'll want us to bring him, him on or not? <laughs> no. All right, sorry. No, we're going to cut him. Let's cut Seth Blatter. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing. 
Rog, celebrities. Do you know which photos I had to show him to get him to come here tonight? <laughs> Useless. Put them up on there in a so minute. So quite apart from so we've, we've done players of World Cups of your broadcasters from the 17th and 16th centuries. <laughs> we've had uh, current players, but dreadlocked players. We've had a song contest. The one thing we're missing that is more American than apple pie, Rog, is celebrity fans of yep. the United States men's national who are, team. Who are amazing footballers. This man is, to me, he's got the speed of Fabian Johnson and the intelligent movement of uh, Steve Trundle. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, somebody who knows what it means to be a world champion, Mr. Judah Friedlander. It's good to be here. Judah, we've pulled out all the stops, mate. We've had them all on. We've trundled them all out. I'm still feeling just somewhere over there, just a tiny bit of negativity. It's all right. You know, it, it happens, man. In America here, we're allowed to have different opinions on things, you know? <laughs> we, don't, we don't live under a queen that we have to worship, man. That's why we're f***ing outlaws. <laughs> it's very, very true. You take yeah, like Queen Elizabeth true, II. That was him, not me. Would you like to feel a golden grapefruit, <laughs> Judah? Yeah. yeah, I've felt these a lot, actually. <laughs> I thought so. Yep, in between my legs when I walk every time. This is what I feel. <laughs> we brought you on stage for a reason. There is a bit of negativity over there. Ultimately, we are blindly, madly, passionately, completely and utterly head over heels with the notion of the U.S. winning the World Cup. Not later, down the road, future power, but bloody hell, right now, right here, 2014. We've invited you, a beautiful, beautiful bloke, narrator of, uh, of Inside U.S. Soccer's March to Brazil. He tells the players exactly what to do and they follow his lead, Mr. Judah yeah, Friedlander. As though it's already happened. We've got the Hunger Games in cleats coming up. We've got Manaus, we've got Natal, we've got Portugal, we've got Germany. 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 Um, come here, just give us three reasons. 8,900 miles travel. Give us, give us reasons to believe before we leave. Three reasons to believe in America uh -huh. and this team in 2014. Yeah. But one, you've got to remember that the World Cup is not about stars. It's not about current stars. It's not about established stars. The World Cup is about new stars. It's oh. about new heroes. Bomb it's let's go stars. back to let's go back to 1998. France wins in France. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's go forward now to 2002. Opening game of the World Cup. Senegal. France. World Cup winners. Reigning World Cup champions play Senegal, a country they used to own. <laughs> I like the way you think. Senegal, never even been in the World Cup before, defeats France one nothing with oh. a young team, Making with a young, inexperienced team. American, Not only had no player in American Senegal Senegalese ever been in the World Cup, nationals. the whole team had never been in <laughs> a World one. Cup. Okay, got him on it. Let's well, stay at 2002 now. Okay, USA versus Portugal. Oh. 
That was the team. Luis Figo was the captain of the team. He was a former World Footballer of the Year. He was in the Lion King. And that year, that was the team. They were calling this their golden team. This was the the golden team. They were one of the favorites to win the World Cup. Yeah, and they... According to Pele. Right. (laughs) Pele also said in 1994 that Colombia would... uh, win the World Cup, and we defeated them. And he said, we're going out in the opening round. Yeah. And so in 2002, I remember watching that game. I went to a bar in the East Village. I was at Nevada Smith's. I think it was at 5 in the morning because the game uh, was in, uh, the games were in uh, Korea and Japan. And uh, we're up 3 nothing at halftime. 36 minutes in the game, we're up 3 nothing, man. And we wound up winning that game. Uh, three to two, and we advanced out of the group. Portugal didn't even advance out of the group. So, just because the team may not be everyone, you know, everyone has their pick of who's on the team and how the team should be played. The World Cup is it doesn't matter how you're ranked uh, or, or anything. You you look at those underdogs there, including us and Senegal. That's proof to believe in this team. You need a team with these. Yeah. Grapefruits. Okay, that was reason number one. Yeah, right? number two. Let's that move on to number, number two. Okay. Number two. Yeah, okay. Take a second. A lot of people on the uniforms from 94. Not us. A lot of, a lot a of, lot of people. a lot of people. A lot of sentient human. <laughs> what you're saying is a lot yeah. of sentient human Certainly beings. Certainly at the time, all of Europe was on our uniforms in 1994. And I'm sure you were too. Nah. He's, he's talking about Anna Wintle. Yeah. Let's fast forward to this year, 2014. I think there's a fair amount of people who aren't too happy with the uniforms this yeah. year. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. To me, that's a good f***ing sign that we're going to get out of the group. Good point. That's a good one. There's good precedent. Point. There's precedent. Good point. Good point. Reason number three we're going to win. I'll cue you. Reason number three. Fuchikau. Because we're American. Yeah. I mean... Listen to the outlaws. We're the American outlaws. Yeah. There are no British outlaws. There are no, there are no French you outlaws. Two there are, there are originally are, from Britain. There are British outlaws. England. They're called, they're called the royal family. <laughs> exactly. But that's what's oppressing the people of England, that you actually have to worship a queen. That makes the rest of the citizens seem like less than human. Davos look right Many, now. I love America. But one should say, many of the revolutionary heroes... Rather like Roger and I were born in Britain. Yes. It's a good point. Thank you. But let's, let's, let's talk about this a little more. England, yeah. you all used to own the entire planet. What happened? <laughs> we, hold on, something, let me finish here. Something that I believe in, evolution. No, no. Revolution. Yeah. And, evol- we little bit, and a little bit you. of evolution. We defeated you. Yeah. Took your language. Yeah. And perfected it. Yeah. And now you're taking our game. Now yeah, you're taking yeah. our game, Judah. That's right. One should say, with the help of the French, and my favorite thing about American is we don't care. Screw them. You like us more than you like them. <laughs> no, no, no. Which is why we love you. Let me tell you, you don't even have David Beckham anymore. He went to Los Angeles. He named his son Brooklyn. It's over. <laughs> That was the second American Revolutionary War. Beckham naming his son Brooklyn. The ties have been severed. And now he's going to the fusion down in Miami, I believe is where he's going. He's all in. He's all in. Take us home, David. 
Where are we going, Rob? But I want to say... I'm lost. Right now we're going to bring on Carl Beckerman the... to close the show. <laughs> no! Say, that already but, happened. But those are my three reasons. And you know, look at you gentlemen. You gentlemen are you know, from England. You Hasty. come here. You live here. You love America. Supporting America. You've, you've seen the light. It's so true. We are the present and the future. It's true. It's a cult that I'm very happy to yeah. be a member of. Absolutely giddy and happy and clappy. And it's a cult that pervades my dreams, David. It is. So we're going to finish with your dream, Rob. Why don't we finish with my dream, David? Okay. Do we want Judah to, to observe our dream, or do we want to give him a great send-off before we do our dream? Um, I prefer... I don't want any nocturnal emissions, so let's do my dream. <laughs> yeah. Judah's off stage. Okay. okay. Judah, Friedlander, thank you! Thank you, everybody. Mine's just a little bit higher than yours. My posture is a lot worse than yours. Okay. When I stand up straight, I'm six foot four. So you all know that Judah is right. Judah had three very good reasons. I think we can agree, Rog. But if you need any more convincing, a little bit of doubt in the back still, you really only have to go to Rog's dream. This is a dream that Rog has been having every day for more than a year. Right, Rog? Well, Devo has been having 365 consecutive dreams about Kelly LeBrock. Yeah. Roger's been having this dream. A beaming, shirtless Michael Bradley is the first to reach the staircase. The American midfielder drapes his shoulders in a Stars and Stripes flag, gives the television camera the thumbs up, shakes his head in disbelief as Mick Discarude puts his arm around him, a man who has become known to the world and feared as Nordic Messi. (laughs) That man has just propelled the US to victory with his inspired play. Unable to mask his joy, he pulls on the comically oversized Uncle Sam hat and moonwalks up the first three stairs. Brazilian fans reach over the handrail, desperate to slap the weary Jermaine Jones. Guten Tag. (laughs) And an animated Aaron Johansson. Hello. (laughs) On the back. Halfway up the stairs, super sub Kyle Beckerman. Sorry, tell that one. Super sub Kyle Beckerman! (laughs) Whose late 65-yard wonder strike... It is proves known. the difference in the final. He soaks in the moment. He turns around. Ugh, the way that hair moves on HD. As a fan deposits a red, white and blue raster wig on his head. Facing out towards the vaunted Maracana, he holds his arms aloft. <laughs> his face appears on the scoreboard in close-up, causing the legendary stadium to ignite in cheers. The Marylander stands in exalted triumph. Part clown, part victorious gladiator. It's my favourite part of the dream. (laughs) At the top of the long, narrow staircase stands... Are you ready? Sepp Blatter. Not now, Sepp, not now! (laughs) Have some nibbles in the green room. (laughs) Sorry, Sepp. 
With a grimace of a man desperate to look as if America's darling run to glory had been his cunning idea all along. Standing between him and an ebullient son of Galati is the World <laughs> Cup trophy. The only thing preventing the ambitious US soccer honcho from pushing the Swiss off the balcony and defenestrating the FIFA president live on television is that trophy. Before them, Clint Dempsey mounts the stairs with a grave look on his face, aware of the historical weight of the task that lies ahead of him. Can you just do a brilliant Sunil Galati again? <laughs> okay, good. I just wanted that. In this moment, the man who grew up dirt poor in Nagadoches, Texas, is an American trailblazer. A man, Rog, who knows his next act will forever change his nation like George Washington, the Wright brothers, or Neil Armstrong before him. As confetti swirls all around, sticking to his sweat-soaked temples. It's Neil the th- Diamond. The 31-year-old wipes his palms on his jersey and approaches the World Cup trophy, once won by Pele, Beckenbauer, Ronaldo and Zidane. A giddy Tim Howard begins to jump up and down beside him. Can you do that football dance for me? Causing the rest of the squad to do the same. They do, they do that too. It depends on night it is. Sometimes it's that, sometimes it's that. Dempsey reaches out to grab the trophy from Blatter's hands. He cradles it, then kisses it, and he's overcome by the memory of the days he first learned to play the game, kicking a deflated basketball around a dirt scrub on a Texan trailer park. A single tear rolls down his cheek, but that does not deter him. With a sudden roar, the Texan arches his back, thrusts the trophy upwards. There you go. Over his head, as dry ice and columns of fire erupt all around him, the United States of America have won the 2014 World Cup, and America will never be the same again! Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and rise for the U.S. National Anthem performed by Mr. Ben Crawford. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the Ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets red glare the bo- 
drums bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave? For the land of the free and the home of the brave. Ladies and gentlemen, GFOPs, American Outlaws, we have given the U.S. men's national team a fantastic send-off to Brazil tonight. Let's make this a quadrennial tradition. Let's meet here, same place, in four years' time. Let's do this every four years. Rog and I, like some of you, I would imagine, were not born in this country, but we are with you tonight. We are with you over the next five, six weeks until those boys lift that trophy above their heads. Well done, you. They can't do it without you. They wouldn't be here tonight without you and everything you've brought to the pantheon of American soccer. Most importantly, come meet us at the pub for a drink. (laughs) Two more things to say. Kung Fu Fight in America. I love you, Dave. Love you, Rog. War pig. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.